You're listening to audio from Pillar Church of Jacksonville, where our goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. If you have questions or want to know more about us, and can text Pillar to 94000 or visit our website at pillarjacks.com. Good morning. My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here with me this morning. All right, let's, uh, we'll be in uh, the book of John this morning. My name is J.D. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. I am so happy to be and thankful this morning to be worshiping with you all. Uh, and we are continuing to walk through uh, the gospel of John together. John chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. The title of my sermon this morning is Living with a Christ exalting perspective, living with a Christ-exalting perspective. J. Hudson Taylor is widely regarded as one of the important and influential missionaries of all time, and certainly one of the most significant missionaries to China in the 19th century. He was a spiritual giant who built an enduring enterprise by faith and prayer. His reputation rests largely upon the founding of the China Inland Missions, which became the largest missionary organization in China by the time of his death in 1905. Howard Taylor writes this, one of Hudson Taylor's outstanding characteristics was his humility. He had no desire to build an empire or to make a name for himself. Or himself. It grieved him deeply when people spoke of him as a great leader. Once, when he was introduced as our illustrious guest in a large church in Australia, he quietly stood for a moment, the light of God on his face, as one who was present recalled, and then began his address by saying in a way that won all hearts to himself, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. I am the I am a little I am the little servant of an illustrious master. A pastor in Australia wrote this about the Lord and his grace and faithfulness. J. Hudson Taylor spoke freely about himself and his service. He said nothing. So my question to you this morning is I wonder if you come this morning with hearts that are humbled before a holy God, recognizing that everything that you have, every success that you've ever endured has come from an illustrious master who has given all these things to you. A second question is this. Are you discontent with any role that you currently serve in? Is there a heart of discontentment in your life? This could be at your workplace. It could be in your own home. It might even be in this church. 
Do you have a discontent heart towards where God has you or at the success of others? Are you discontented at where God has you right now or even at the success of others? In our text this week, and this is what we're going to see this morning, we will see the distinction of a heart and a posture bent towards grace and humility and hearts that are bent towards discontentment. So let's look at John chapter 3, verses 22 through 28. Kel, can you do me a favor? Can you cut that off? Let's read together. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So three, te- three uh, points in my sermon this morning, but I want to give you first the one thing I want you to take away from this text today is this. A Christ-exalting life believes in Jesus and seeks to make Him greater in every way. A Christ-exalting life first believes in Jesus and then seeks to make Him greater in every way. And one way that we we make uh, the, or one way that we exalt the greatness of Jesus is through gospel proclamation. So my first point this morning is Christ-exalting gospel proclamation. Christ-exalting gospel proclamation. 
after Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in the preceding verses in Jerusalem, he and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. And he remained there for some time. Most scholars believe it was around three to six months that Jesus remained there in Judea and was baptizing. He was there and they were coming to him. They were being baptized. And John the Baptist, who we've met previously in preceding uh, chapters and verses here in the book of John up to chapter 3, was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, which was, if you, if you remember, uh, when Jared preached, John the Baptist was at Bethany, and Jared described where Bethany was. Well, Anon near Salim is not very far from Bethany. And so because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. They were, people were hearing about what was happening uh, near these places, that people were coming to faith in the gospel, that people were being baptized, and gospel proclamation was happening. Remember, Jesus came to preach and proclaim the good news, and that was what he was doing. He was preaching and proclaiming the masses. And remember, John the Baptist is one who was preaching about a, 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 a baptism of repentance, one that you must turn away from, uh, from your old self and walk in a newness of life. And so as people were coming and as they were hearing the gospel preached by John and his disciples and, uh, and as, he was, as people were coming and, and hearing the word preached by Jesus and his disciples, they were being baptized. And they were hearing the gospel proclaimed and people were responding to the gospel proclamation. So we exalt Christ. We make Him greater in every way when we tell others about Him, when we proclaim the good news of who Jesus is and what He has done in our lives. That we would be Christ exalters of the gospel. We see John the Baptist even do this with his disciples in verse 29. The, the one who has the bride, that is the church, is the bridegroom, that is Jesus. He is pointing people to the bridegroom, to Christ, that He is greater. This is what it means to live a life of gospel proclamation, of Christ-exalting gospel proclamation. As Christians, we must always point to the bridegroom. We must always point to the bridegroom. We rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice as we see John the Baptist who, who and John the Baptist continue on verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom, that is John the Baptist, that is us who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. So we rejoice greatly at the bridegroom's voice and guess what we get to do? get to call others to do the same. That we would call others towards the bridegroom's voice. Towards the voice that has changed us, that has transformed us. This gospel that has that is, that is saved us from God's wrath. The gospel that we rejoice in. We would call others to rejoice with us. 
And even in verse 36, this proclamation of the gospel, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever does not believe in the Son shall not see life. We call people to repentance because their wrath is on them. We call people to believe in the Son of God that gives eternal life. Until we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are children of wrath. We are bent toward destruction. And God's judgment is upon us. As we even learned from John 3.18 last week, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not put his faith and trust in the only one who can give eternal life. So if you're here this morning and you've been saved by the truths of the gospel. That you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You exalt Christ by proclaiming the goodness of your salvation to a dying world. That you would proclamate, you would proclaim the goodness of the gospel that's changed your life. That your testimony would be that God has changed you, has transformed you. Yet you were heading in one direction. Bent towards your selfish ambition. And in a moment, God saved you and He transformed you and you started heading in this direction. Sometimes that's slow. Sometimes that is quick. Like Paul on the road to Damascus. It is an instant change. It is a change of direction that God calls you to. And we must proclaim this good news that has happened in us. As we see here that they are doing, they're preaching the good news, they're proclaiming the good news, and they're baptizing people that are coming to saving faith in Jesus. And so we walk as Christians with a Christ-exalting gospel proclamation. We must be proclaiming the good news. We must remind ourselves constantly of the good news that has transformed us because if we don't, we don't feel the initiative to proclaim it. But as we remind ourselves over and over again of who we were, and what Christ has done, you can't help but tell others. So as we exalt Christ, as we live with this Christ-exalting life, that we would live it bent towards gospel proclamation. Over and over again, the gospel of John the Apostle John, this is what he continually points to, that you would believe this gospel. And not only would you believe it, that you would proclaim it. That you would obey the Son. That you would see life. And as this gospel transforms us, and as it changes us, then it takes us to a place of Christ-exalting humility. That's my second point this morning, is that we would live with Christ-exalting humility. 
the, the gospel helps us to live with Christ-exalting humility because it reminds us, the gospel reminds us that we are more wicked than we ever dared believe. But the gospel also reminds us that we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope for. The gospel is true. The gospel's true. The more you see your sin as an affront to God, the more certain you are saved by grace and not works. The gospel allows us to see our sin and who we are but reminds us of the goodness and the nature of Christ that we believe. And it leads us to a place of humility. But somewhere along the way, the disciples and us at times forget the goodness of this, of this gospel. The disciples of John the Baptist here, look what happens. A, a discussion, verse 25. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John the Baptist and they said, said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to, to whom you bore witness, he is also baptizing. And everybody's going to him. What, what are we going to do? We see here three things that I believe from the disciples of John the Baptist. They were jealous and angry over people going to Jesus. Their hearts were discontent that people were leaving John the Baptist and his ministry and they were going to Jesus. You can even, the second one is that you can even feel the disdain that they have towards John the Baptist as being the forerunner for Christ. To whom you bore witness. You did this. You kept pointing people to Christ and now we're going to lose our following. You did this, John. What are you doing? There's disdain there by the, by the disciples of the Baptist. And then they had this feeling that they were just going to be left empty. Look at the hyperbole. Look, he's baptizing. They're all, everybody's going to him. What are we going to do? These hearts of discontent. What happened to our church? What happened to our group? What happened to our, 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 our following? What happened? Questions to you this morning stem from the first questions I asked is this. Are you prone towards jealousy at the success of others? Is that your heart? That you are prone towards jealousy at the success of others? Do you see the success of others and why can't that be me? Why can't I do that? Why can't I get that promotion? 
Why can't I get that raise? Why can't I have that role? Do you feel disdain when others are recognized and you are not? Does your heart live in this realm of discontentment? I want you to notice what John the Baptist does in his response. Verse 27. That person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him. Now, this is a reminder to us, guys. I want you to hear me on this. We do well. We do well to remember that everything that we have ever achieved, every ability that we possess, every opportunity for success, every blessing that we get to enjoy has not been received by things of this world. As much as you believe that, as much as you believe that, hey, look what I have done. As much as you hold the banner of your, over your head, look at success I've achieved. And I believe this is in your hearts because I see it on social media. Look at what I've done. Look at what happened. We do well to remember that all of these things were not earned and given to us by this world. But they were given to us by a good and gracious and loving Father. That's what he's saying here. Listen, anything that we've achieved, guys, anything that you've accomplished, any of the baptisms that we've had, any of the pointing people to repentance, is not in and of yourself. It is from God, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. That skill you possess, that gift you have, you didn't earn it. It's given to you by the grace and the goodness of God. We do well to remember this. And that is what John the Baptist is saying here. We haven't achieved anything except the ministry that God gave us. I'm only doing what I was sent here and called to do. And you know what that means? That means I get out of the way. And I let him go and I let him do what he does. And so John, John the Baptist goes on. He says, look, look, listen. Gosh, you know I told you this. I told you that I'm not the Christ. I told you that I'm not the one. I told you that I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. I told you that I have just been sent before him to proclaim him. I know my role. You see, the one who has the bride, the one who has the church... He is the bridegroom. They would have recognized this. They would have understood this language. The audience that John the Baptist is talking to would have known exactly what, G, uh, what John the Baptist was talking about when he mentions the bride and the bridegroom. Why? Because all throughout the Old Testament text, 
even the one that we read here in Hosea, paints a picture of the bride who is Israel and the bridegroom who is God. Over and over and over again, God reminds them that you are my people. You are not my people, but now you are my people. And so when John the Baptist goes and he reflects to these people and goes, listen, he is the bridegroom. He is from the Father. And you should bow at his feet. We should rejoice that people are going to him. Because he has the bride. He washes her with the word. That is Jesus. And us? Us who get to see Him in His Word, we get to rejoice greatly in this. We get to rejoice that the Bridegroom has come. Therefore, John the Baptist says, my ministry is done. My joy is complete. My role here is served. He must increase, and I must decrease. John the Baptist humbly steps aside, and he points to the greater, and he said, He is greater. I am less. Points to the bridegroom. That is humble exaltation. That is Christ-exalting humility. To point people, not of your own success, but to point people to Christ who gave you everything that you have. Everything that you've accomplished. So I want to have two takeaways here that I want you to get. Two takeaways that I want you to grab from this. As we think about Christ exalting humility, two things. The first one is this. We must always, 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 truly, truly, truly see Jesus as greater, Jesus as more, and ourselves as less. Always. If you want to walk in Christ-exalting humility, you will live your life in this way. That Jesus is greater and you are Less. That goes against everything that you're taught in this world. You are taught to head for the top. To climb the ladder of success. To achieve more and more and more. To get more and more and more. To have more and more and more. Yet, the Bible over and over and over again calls us to be less and less Unless The second one I want you to take away is this. We must always see others as greater than ourselves. Not only should we see Jesus as greater than ourselves, but we should look to our neighbor and see them as greater than ourselves. So do this with me. Look to your neighbor. Look to your neighbor, those who are next to you. And say, you are greater than I. Good job. How many of you actually meant it? (laughs) 
Philippians 2.3 says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Michael Haldeman writes this, So often it is easy for us to want to hold on to our own position or roles. We expend a great deal of effort trying to protect those roles and keep them from, for ourselves. But John the Baptist shows us by his example that there is a much better way. John shows us how to graciously step aside to allow others to fulfill their roles. Even more importantly, when John says he must increase but I must decrease, he is modeling for us how to exalt God and humble ourselves before him. This is obviously an important characteristic in God's sight because James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to those who are humble. God's economy is that we would walk in Christ-exalting humility. He is greater. Everybody else around me is greater. And I am less. We walk in that humility. It's amazing how we can point people to the one that we're supposed to be pointing people to. So Christ-exalting gospel proclamation, Christ-exalting humility. He must increase, I must decrease. My third one is this, Christ-exalting worship. That we would live with Christ-exalting worship. This perspective of Christ-exalting worship. Because Jesus is supreme. We, the church, must exalt Christ above everything else. So how do we live with Christ or have a perspective of Christ-exalting worship? Five ways here in verses 31 through 36. Five ways. The first one is this, recognizing that Jesus comes from heaven. Jesus comes from heaven. That He has dominion over everything. Verse 31. He who comes from heaven, uh, who, He who comes from above is above all. And He is who is of the earth, belongs to the earth, and speaks in an earthly way. That's us. But Jesus, He who comes from heaven, is above everything. He is deserving of our worship because He has dominion over everything. He put all things in subjection under His feet. And He is head over all things, including the church. So our Christ-exalting worship recognizes that Jesus comes from the heavenly throne. The second one is this, that Jesus bears witness to everything. Jesus bears witness to everything. Verse 32 Jesus bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Jesus bears witness to creation, to everything that's happened in the heavenly dominions. He has seen, he has done, he has been a part of. So he is from heaven. When he came to the world, he went back to heaven. When he ascended 
on high. He has eternally and always existed in everything. Even in the creation of the world, in the creation of you, Jesus has been a part of that work. He bears witness to all of it. We would do well to listen. The third thing that we helps us to have a Christ-exalting worship is that Jesus has the very words of God. Jesus has the very words of God. Verse 34, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. Jesus says that I and the Father are one. We are God. I am the I am. If you have seen me, Jesus says, you have seen the Father. You have seen me. You have seen the Father. He has the words of God. So that all the words that we have in Scripture, all the words that we have from Jesus are the words uttered by God himself. Remember, the Apostle John, the one that wrote this book, even says that the whole world could not contain all that could be written about Jesus' earthly ministry. He utters the words of God. It should cause us to worship and bow at His feet. The third one, and similar to some of the other ones, is that Jesus is over all things. Jesus is over all things. Heaven is His throne, and the earth is His footstool, the Bible says. Jesus has dominion. He is over all of things. And the fifth one is this, and this one's important to us. The reason that we can have Christ-exalting worship and live with this perspective is that Jesus brings life. But it's good to remember that he also brings death. He brings the sword. Verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. How do you respond to that this morning? Does it cause you to worship the Creator God, the one who creation was spoke into existence, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, that He brings life. That if we set our affections on Him, that we set our heart towards Him, if we believe by faith that Jesus is the Son of God, that we will be saved. And we be able to walk into eternity with Him. That is good news of the gospel. But the other side of this is that those who do not obey, those who do not put their trust and faith in Him, the wrath and the condemnation of God is already upon them. So you must consider that this morning. My heart discontent towards the things of God. 
my heart discontent with where God has me in this world? Or am I living with Christ's exalting humility? Am I living as, uh, with the example of that Christ must increase in my life? And so we ask the question, what does it mean to live with a Christ-exalting perspective? It means that everything that we do, everything, we recognize that Christ must be exalted above every single thing, over family, over children, over husbands, over wives, that Christ is greater over every job, over every work, over every success that you've had. Christ is greater. He is worthy of our exaltation. He is worthy of our worship. This is Christ. So have you believed that Jesus is the Son of God? Verse 33 is His promise. Verse 33, whoever receives this testimony or his testimony, Jesus' testimony, sets his seal to this, that God is true, that his promises are true. The promise is that if you trust and believe in him, that you put your faith and trust in him, you're saying that God is true. That He will offer and give me the forgiveness of sins. That I will walk in obedience in a manner worthy of my calling in light of this. That's my question to you this morning, simply. Where is your heart this morning? Is your heart bent towards exalting Christ above everything else? Or are all these other little worldly things just kind of taking root and seeds in your life? Do you live with this Christ-exalting humility that He must increase and I must decrease? He must be greater. I must be less. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Heavenly Father, I readily admit that I walk at times in discontentment. Discontentment and unmet expectations. Discontentment towards things of this world and and things that are not of heaven. Discontentment towards where you have me sometimes in my own life. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me. Forgive me where I don't walk in Christ-exalting, with a Christ-exalting perspective. Forgive me when when I don't exalt you in every way, shape, and form as I should. Forgive me when I wake up in the morning and I begin the day without first going to you and hearing from your word and hearing what it is that you have for me. Every morning. Lord, help us to walk in this. Help us to not be like John the Baptist's disciples, Lord, who look at things around them and become discontent with where where God has them. But no, we would look. We would look to the heavens. 
we would worship. We would worship at every good thing that we've been able to.